Our Father, we thank you for bringing us safely here once again this morning, and we thank you for this place where we can gather and look into your word. We thank you for those who have gathered, uh, both physically here and online, and we pray that you would make this time profitable to us through the guidance and blessing of your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's... Okay, there we go. So we continue today in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in the second part of the chapter. Uh, covered verses 1 through 10 last week. So now I'm going to go on through verse 11 through the end of the chapter, and I'll start out by reading it. I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you. For nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. Now for the third time I am ready to come to you and I will not be burdensome to you for I do not seek yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. But be that as it may, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. For I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults, lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. All right. So again, to review the outline, uh, one possible outline uh, of uh, 2 Corinthians 12, obviously the outline is not uh, inspired uh, scripture. The, the scripture is we've, we finished the part that's the part of the lesson guaranteed to be absolutely free of error, the reading of God's word, and now we go on to best we can make of it. So the, the outline thus uh, is one possible outline. We have a vision of paradise, verses 1 through 6, to a thorn in the flesh, verses 7 through 10. And those are the verses that I covered last week. And now this week, with God's help, we're going to cover verse, uh, parts 3 and 4, the signs of an apostle, verses 11 through 13, and uh, love for the church, verses 14 through 21. All right, verse 11. I'll, I'll say a little more about verse 11, I think, than I will about the verses that follow. I plan to go a little more quickly over them. And those of you who know my propensities, I will forgive you for thinking that I'm not capable of going quickly over any passage of Scripture, but we will see. But I have a bit more to say about this. So Paul says, Paul writes, I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you, for in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. So Paul says, I have become a fool in boasting. 
and you have compelled me. Now, there are a couple of things there that if you misunderstand this, or, or, and, and not culpably misunderstand it, but just you, this really could sound wrong uh, initially. Like, what, 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 what's he saying? First of all, Proverbs 24.9 says, The thought of foolishness is sin. If what Paul has written in the previous part of the chapter, defending his apostleship, is foolishness, does that mean Paul has been writing sinful stuff? Well, no. But you might almost think that. So I've become a fool in boasting. Oh, we're not supposed to, are we, are we supposed to think that, that what he wrote was bad? No. He says, you have compelled me. Which leads to the other thought, you know, can, can someone compel you or make you sin? Can, uh, you know, there was a comedian many, many, many moons ago. He used to say, the devil made me do it. Yeah. And, and preachers rightly said, the devil can't make you do it. If you are in Christ, people say things. I know one of the most uh, outrageous things. I haven't actually heard anybody say this in anger. or I've heard it reported that people do this and they'll say, see what you did. You went and made me angry. It's your fault. Ugh. That's not only uh, dishonest. It's also extremely unmanly to say such a thing. But no, um, clearly the devil can't make you sin if you're in Christ in any way. And, of course, people that say that about getting angry, they usually mean, uh, and, and, in, and in the emotion of anger, I have said and done bad things, and it's your fault, and that's just false. But um, anyway, so, so are we to take it that Paul is saying, I said bad things that were sinful, and you made me do it? No and no. Let me uh, explain why. Um, first of all, on the thought of foolishness is sin, that is, uh, Proverbs 24.9 in the Old King James Translation. But without going into a lengthy exposition of the book of Proverbs, uh, you are probably aware that in Proverbs, the word fool or foolishness are, are used in two different ways. One, as a simple person, uh, just a, a simpleton who just doesn't know any better and doesn't have any sense. And the other is a scoffer, a hardened scoffer or mocker. And if you read Proverbs 24, 9, you'll see that in, clearly the context is that of uh, foolishness as in what a scoffer or mocker does. So foolishness. And when Proverbs 24, 9 says the thought of foolishness is sin, the word thought there can be translated, and in many translations is translated, the devising or the scheming of foolishness is sin. So um, the devising or scheming of making a mockery or, or a, um, a scoff at God, scoffing at God, mocking God, mocking his ways, and devising or scheming to do that clearly is sin. That is easy to understand. And that's what Proverbs 24.9 is telling us. So, so that's not the kind of foolishness that Paul is talking about here. So that's not the way we are to understand this. And clearly, we see from, we've seen from many other scriptures, some of them right in these epistles of Corinthians that we've been going through, actually earlier in this chapter, that God will always give us grace sufficient for every temptation we face. And back in 1 Corinthians, that God will never allow us to be tempted in any way without making a way that we can escape without, without sinning. So no one can make a sin. We do that on our own if we do. So um, that's not what he's saying. We're not to understand that sentence in that light. So let's think a moment how we are to understand it. Remember that Paul has said earlier in this uh, epistle 
And we are not of those who compare themselves among themselves and justify themselves by themselves, for they that do such are not wise. So for human beings to go around comparing themselves with other human beings and saying, I, you know, in, in, in spiritual things, I, I don't know, we might, I suppose, compare who can make the best chocolate cake, I suppose, and that's whatever. We might compare that uh, for what that's worth. But in spiritual things, in matter of virtue and standing with God and being justified before God or anything like that, for us to compare ourselves with other humans is not wise, therefore foolish. So um, this that Paul is doing could, could be considered foolish because, you know, that we've just said it's not wise to do that. But why has he gone into it? Well, you might put it this way, and if I can paraphrase very freely what I think is the thought behind what Paul has been saying in this chapter and now says in this verse. Now, Corinthians, it's foolish to compare people with other people in terms of their spiritual merit and their standing with God. But these fellows have come in, these false teachers have come in, and they've been teaching you false things, and they've been saying you should believe our teaching because we have more credentials to be teachers of God's ways than does Paul. We're more qualified as teachers than is Paul because compare all our qualifications to his we're, we're better. That's what they say. There are big problems with everything those guys are saying. But Paul uh, comes back and says, no, that's not true. And even though it's foolish to compare Christians or, or, or professed Christians with, you know, to compare people in terms of spiritual merit, nevertheless, I need to show you that what these false teachers have been telling you about their being more qualified than me is false, and that is not a good argument to listen to what they say. Now, why is that important? Is it important because of Paul's ego, or so that he feels satisfied or fulfilled or feels okay about himself? And No, it has nothing to do with Paul or how he feels, as he makes clear here in the text and elsewhere as we go, go forward. It's about their edification. But why is it important? It's important because since Paul first came to Corinth, he has been the one who has been teaching them the gospel, teaching them the way of salvation, teaching them how we can be justified before God and can be freed from the guilt and the, the penalty and the power of sin. And he's been teaching them how we can then fulfill what will be, will be, once we are freed from the penalty and power of sin, our overwhelming desire and longing to live pleasing to God, right? If we've been freed from the penalty and power of sin, we have a desire to live pleasing to God. And so Paul has been telling them what you do, how you live uh, pleasing to God. And these false teachers have come in, and yeah, they're false teachers, so they've been teaching them false things. And they've been teaching them, apparently we can kind of surmise, we don't hear their voices, but we hear the replies to them, and we can piece together what they must have been saying. That you need to, they're Judaizers after all, you need to become a sort of a defective version of an Old Testament Jew. I say defective version because the, the Old Testament Jews who were living as they should were looking forward to the Messiah whom God would send and thus provide a way of salvation for them. They were following the Old Testament law, including the ceremonial law, because that's what God commanded them during that time. 
until the Messiah was sent and the way of salvation was provided. Uh, but they were looking forward to what would be provided. That, but what these Judaizers are teaching is not that. They're teaching, well, you need to uh, become a, an observant Jew and uh, follow all the ceremonial law uh, in, in the uh, Mosaic uh, texts. And then, oh yeah, you can believe in this Jesus fellow as a sort of, a, if I might use the terminology of a modern motor vehicle, an aftermarket add-on. Just a, a little option that you can put on to your Jewishness. And of course, we can all see right away that once they start going down that road, it won't be long until we find out that you may as well leave the aftermarket add-on off and just take your Judaism straight. Your Judaism, that's not the right kind of Judaism. It's Judaism that rejects the Jews' Messiah, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what the false teachers have been teaching them. And by the way, the false teachers also, as we shall see, don't seem to have any problem with people disobeying the moral law found in the, in the Mosaic texts and all manners of moral uh, breaches which are displeasing to God and thus we ought not to live that way. Uh, they don't seem to be having any problem with that, but they're just teaching them another way of salvation. And that's not going to get it done. And so, Paul, it's very important, see, for that reason, that these people know that they need to listen to Paul and not listen to these other fellows. And this really shouldn't have been necessary, Paul says. You go, go through the scripture line by this, this ought not to have been necessary. You ought to have known. But because some of you have started, I know he didn't, I'm paraphrasing right now. I'm saying what I think is the message, what I'm reading between the lines of this, that he's saying, you should have known, but because some of you have started listening to those false teachers and believing the things that they say, I need to make clear to you why you need to listen to what I said. So, um, so he has gone into this discussion, which would otherwise be foolish. Right? It would be foolish to say my qualifications versus their qualifications. That would be a foolish discussion to go into, but Paul has had to do it in order to persuade the Corinthians, you need to follow the gospel as I've preached it to you, and not some false gospel that somebody else has showed up with lately. Now, okay, so I believe that's why he said, I've become a fool in boasting. I've had to go into this inherently foolish discussion, which is like boasting on my part, because I'm telling you why I'm qualified to be an apostle, but I am. And I've had to do that because you've been listening to foolish things you ought to have known better than to listen to. Okay, since you ought to have known better. Um, for the next line, he says, for I ought to have been commended by you. That is, uh, they had good, adequate, and sufficient reason to know that Paul was an apostle, that he was speaking from God. Well, what reason to know that Paul was an apostle? Well, First of all, um, well, I don't know. I don't know what sequence to put them in. I, I list them in no particular order, but just for one thing, Paul's teaching was according to the Old Testament scriptures. So remember that somewhat before he got to Corinth, when Paul came to Berea, the, uh, the Jews of the synagogue at Berea were commended by the Holy Spirit through Luke, uh, said, said that they were 
more noble than those of Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures daily whether these things were true. So those were of the Jewish synagogue who had that advantage. Remember, Paul in Romans says, what advantage then hath the Jews? Much in every way, that chiefly to them were committed the oracles of God. They had the scriptures which are read in the synagogue every week, and so they had that advantage. For them, they could know that Paul was an apostle and that he truly spoke for God because everything he said lined up with the Old Testament scriptures. That if you really would study the Old Testament scriptures, and just instead of just listening to some false teacher who claims he knows the scriptures, don't read them, I know I'm listening to me. If you'd actually search the scriptures, you'd know that Paul was teaching the truth and that it was necessary that Christ should suffer these things and afterward enter into his glory and so forth. So the Old Testament scriptures supported Paul's message. But also there were other ways they should have known. For one thing, because of Paul's holy life, that Paul's lifestyle was such as to commend him to them. And then also we find out, uh, as we'll find out I think later, yes, later in this passage, that Paul actually performed miracles there at Corinth. And these are not something that we would, you know, is, so to what extent, by the way, can we apply any of this uh, to what we're doing today? Partially and partially not. The scriptures, yes. In fact, even more so, because we have now the entire New Testament scripture, which also means that we don't need uh, signs and wonders and mighty works done in the church, that we don't have to see people healed, raised from the dead, uh, healed miraculously. Now, providentially, God, in answer to our prayers, does use, uh, you know, turn and direct and orchestrate the natural processes such as to answer our prayers. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And we've probably seen that happen. But uh, we, don't, we don't necessarily, in the church today, since Pentecost, we don't have to see uh, people raised from the dead or uh, people uh, miraculously healed. You know, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I you. And Peter took him by the hand and he rose up and went walking and leaping and praising God. Now, if God wants to do that, of course he can do it. He can do anything he wants. But we don't expect to see that and we don't need to see it because we have the full canon of Scripture, not just the books, the 39 books of the Old Testament, but we have the 27 books of the New Testament also. So we have all 66 books of the, of, of the inspired canon. I have sometimes, by the way, I, I can't prove this, but I've sometimes thought that perhaps God may still do somewhat more in the way of miraculous works in places where the Bible is not available in the language that the local people can read. So I wonder if that might be why we sometimes do hear of more miraculous things from some mission fields uh, than we necessarily see ourselves. But I couldn't prove that. I'm not out to, to uh, say that's necessarily true. But I know God can do what he wants, but we don't expect commonly to see, nor do we need to see signs and wonders and miraculous works because we have the full canon of Scripture and... Since the day of Pentecost, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling every believer, witnessing in our hearts. And it's actually one of the ways that, that uh, the church recognized Scripture. The, God's people recognized through God's Spirit that God, got what God's word was when they saw it.
And they knew that it came from an apostle and so on. So um, we have other ways that we can know whether a teacher is of God. We still look at their fruits. Jesus said, by their fruits ye shall know them. And that was true of teachers in Paul's day. And Paul's fruit was such that they should know that he was an apostle. The false teacher's fruit was such that they should know that they, those were not apostles nor true teachers of the scripture. So that's still valid. Uh, checking the scriptures, still valid. And we have more scriptures. And the witness of the Holy Spirit, we have also now. So we don't need the other, the signs, wonders, and miraculous works. But they had them back in that day. Well, I'm a little ahead of the text here, but the point is, um, uh, I ought to have been commended by you, says Paul, because the Corinthians had good, adequate, and sufficient reason to know that Paul was an apostle and that what he said was from God. And he says, I'm not, for in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles. This is, uh, as in chapter 11, the most eminent apostles apparently is some irony, which Paul is using a good deal of here in these couple of chapters, where it um, is saying uh, these super apostles or these more than apostles. According to a commentator that I read, these more than apostles is actually the literal uh, translation of most eminent apostles. These more than apostles, these Super apostles, as one commentator said, these apostles extraordinary. He's speaking, um, uh, again, ironically, of these false teachers who come in here and tell you that they are way above an apostle and are leading the people astray. Okay, and then, and all this, all this, though, Paul says, I am nothing. So it's inherently foolish, you know, if, if a man, in terms, any human being, in terms of of merit with God, uh, you know, in terms of virtue of himself and from himself, any human being is a zero, right, in terms of merit with God, in terms of uh, virtue and anything like that apart from God. Uh, And it is silly to compare a zero with another zero uh, in that sense. It's just, it's a zero. But of himself, I am nothing. But God is using Paul to give his word and to teach the true gospel to the folks at Corinth, and they need to listen. Okay, no longer on that verse, and that seems to set the tone, is, to me, it seems, for this passage. So, verse 12, okay, I was kind of hitting on some of these matters already. Truly, the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So, again, this is where Paul says that he has is, he is, um, performed miracles among them. Now, I don't believe we read of any miracles in Corinth, in the book of Acts, I could be misremembering something. We do read about some other miracles that Paul did in various other places, in Troas and in uh, Ephesus and um, other places. Um, not a lot, but some. And apparently God didn't think it was necessary for the book of Acts that we should read about every single miracle that Paul did. But some. And it turns out that he did more that aren't listed, just like he suffered more things that aren't listed all in the book of Acts. Verse 13, 4, What is it in which you are inferior to other churches, except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. So again, Paul uses some irony here. Apparently the false teacher has been claiming, Paul doesn't treat you like other churches. He, he thinks you're a second-class church. He, he doesn't love you as much as he does the other fellows. And Paul says, now, wait a minute, Corinthians. 
In what way have I shorted you? Well, the only thing I did was I didn't, I didn't ask for financial support from you, and I'm not going to either. It's not going to be financially uh, burdensome to you. And uh, he says, forgive me this wrong. He thinks the Corinthians ought to be able to forgive him for that. And uh, usually people will forgive you for not taking their money. Uh, sometimes not, but anyway, they need to forgive him for that. And um, that's the, the only thing. He's treated them differently from other places. He's done miracles and signs and wonders and mighty works in other places. He's done them in Corinth, too. To preach the gospel in other places, he did it in Corinth, too. He just didn't ask for money from them, and apparently God led him not to. And considering the kind of folks that they were and the kind of attitudes they've shown, that was clearly a good idea, and it was good that God led him not to take support from them. All right. If we can advance it, there we go. Now for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but parents for the children. So uh, this is for the third time I'm ready to come to you. Uh, commentators seem to disagree. Well, they do disagree. You know, it just seems they disagree. If this means that, that uh, Paul has already been to Corinth twice, and he's getting ready to come a third time, or if it means he came once, he was ready to come a, th- a second time, but didn't because he didn't want to catch them out, sort of catch them not being obedient. And so now he's coming. He's ready to come a third time and expects he will come. Whether, you know, has he already been to Corinth once, in other words, or has he only been to Corinth, or already been to Corinth twice so far? They're not agreed of that, but at any rate, you can read it in either way. It doesn't make much difference. He says, I do not seek yours but you. So I'm not after your stuff. I'm not after your money, your uh, anything of yours. I'm after you and not for himself. He says, earlier we read, he says, I've betrothed you as a pure virgin to Christ. And I don't want you for myself, but I want you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, so I, he says, I, I'm, I'm jealous for you for that. I don't want you to be one away from Jesus Christ to false gospels and false teachings and the Judaizers and all the rest, or to just wicked sinfulness, which was pretty rampant in Corinth. And, and it, was, it had made, as we can see, inroads in the church, which were not proving easy to root out. He says, I don't want you to go for any of that stuff. I want you as, as a pure bride for the Lord Jesus Christ. So I don't want your stuff... I don't want your money, I want you. Paul isn't in this for the money. And that, by the way, I think, um, not to say, it is clear, Paul makes clear in, in the first epistle to the Corinthians that it is okay, it is right, for a uh, Christian teacher to receive support from God's people, from the giving of God's people. That's clearly okay. That's clearly not wrong for that to happen. But, the problem is if a teacher or a professed teacher is out for the money, a teacher who's in it for the money uh, is very, that's, that should at least awaken suspicion. You should have a high index of suspicion about professed teachers of God's word who are running around uh, or just being after the money all the time. I don't mean receiving money because that's okay. That's clearly right, 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, 
for, for those whom God has called to that work and called to be supported in that way, that's fine. But those who are in it for the money, those who are greedy of filthy lucre, uh, disqualify themselves. Apparently that described these false teachers who were there in Corinth. They seemed to be after money to a good deal. In fact, they apparently have been teaching that if Paul doesn't take your money, he doesn't love you. And if Paul doesn't take your money, he knows he's not a real apostle because he knows he's not worth it. And that's not the way it works with the preaching of the gospel, as you know. So uh, I don't seek yours, but you. So the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Paul has said elsewhere that you, know, you may have many teachers in Christ, but you have one father in Christ. Paul had led them to Christ. Paul was the first who came there and preached the gospel. And he had preached the truth. And so he sees them as, he sees himself rather, as, his, as their spiritual father. And as their spiritual father, he shouldn't be uh, supported by them, but he should be supporting them. Now, I know there are times when aged parents who aren't able to do for themselves anymore uh, need to be supported, helped, or whatever, in whatever way by their parents. And that's right, that, that children should do that for their parents uh, if that's needed and as they're able. But, but for the parents just to, just to live in ease uh, or to get rich off their kids, that's, that's not the idea. Uh, the children don't give an inheritance to the parents. The parents give an inheritance to the children or leave an inheritance for the children. All right. Verse 15. And I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. So Paul would gladly spend the money that he had, work as a tent maker and, and earn money, and spend that to support himself and spend it on the Christians there if they needed it. He would spend himself, his efforts, his energy, his time. You know, Paul, you could be doing a lot of other fun things besides getting shipwrecked every so often and all those river crossings that were so nasty and taking your chances with bandits and uh, mobs and stonings and beatings and all the rest, or even just spending your time preaching to people who sometimes aren't very nice, who sometimes don't receive your preaching very well, sometimes aren't exactly grateful, and don't react the way they should. You could do a lot of other things, Paul. Right. But this is what he wants to do. This is what he believes God has called him to do. And he's ready to be spent for them. You know, he's, he is kind of, he's spending his life and he's being spent. He gets beat up with rods and he gets uh, stripes from the Jews and he gets dragged off a prisoner and all these other things that happen to him and it's not very fun but yet um, uh, he is ready to do that for God's people and for the message of Christ by the way I, I find it interesting you notice when Paul has had to engage in what he calls the foolishness of presenting his credentials vis-a-vis -vis the credentials of the false teacher. You notice what gets on the list. It's not really anything that you or I would put on our resume or on our curriculum vita or our job application if we were applying for the job of apostle or true teacher of the gospel. It's not what you would think would be on that. 
He tells what he has suffered for Christ and what God has done for him. Here's what I've suffered I've been in all these things. And here's what God has done for me. He delivered me from and Damascus, and he's delivered me other times, and his grace is sufficient for me, and he's been with me. And that's what Paul says. He can't even bring himself to any what we would call boasting. If you, you think about it, you think about all Paul's epistles, you think about any time when he ever listed things that we would consider uh, qualifications or, uh, you know, good lines on his resume or things you'd list on the job application. What are your qualifications for apostle? If he ever listed things that in the, in the human, in our humanness, we would think would belong there. And, you know, I mean, what might he have listed? Well, he had things he could have listed that could have gone on a list like that, why I'm qualified to be an apostle. I mean, he's he's um, of, the, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law, blameless, uh, you know, and on and on in that vein. And all the things that he had that he could have added, and I studied under Gamaliel, the greatest teacher of the, the law of that day, very famous. And on and on he goes with those things. But when he does list those things over in Philippians... He doesn't list them as his qualifications. He lists them as his disqualifications. He said, all these things that were gained to me, I count as nothing and worse than nothing insofar as they might, uh, they might uh, come between me and a complete trust and confidence in Christ, right? And he says, I, I count them as nothing and worse than nothing that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So all those things that, we that one in the in the human would think of as oh this is a qualification I've got this I've got this I've got a degree and I've got this and a... no no that's uh, those are not qualifications but I've I'm committed to Christ I followed him and he has helped me and he has been with me that was the qualification that Paul presented by the way if we are asked to justify i mean how are we are we to justify our preaching that way or our teaching that way if i'm teaching the bible now should i justify myself to you by telling you all the things i've suffered for christ i don't have that long of a list at all much at all nothing to put on that list with paul but no actually not i think there are times when it might be appropriate not in justifying our teaching not in defending our teaching but at other times, uh, by way of testimony, it might be appropriate to tell what God has done for us. But uh, uh, I think at times like that, it's especially important that we be careful that we actually are telling what God has done for us and not what we fondly imagine we have done for God. You know, and then I told them this, and then I told them that, and I witnessed for the scripture. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's, I don't need to be telling that at all. Um, Maybe we've heard that. Maybe we sometimes found ourselves falling into that. No, that's not it. But you know what? As to justifying our teaching, like Paul, of course, has to talk in that vein in order to tell them, and this is why you need to believe the gospel that I have preached to you. But we don't have to do that at all. So if someone says, well, what worth? why should I believe anything you're telling me? Uh, I, I don't have to say, well, I, I was shipwrecked because I wasn't. Or, um, and God 
miraculously delivered me from a bunch of people trying to kill me. I, not that I know of. Um, and uh, probably if anybody wanted to kill me, it was probably because of something stupid I did, and not because of uh, any testimony for the Lord. But no, none of that. We have the scripture. We have the full canon of scripture. So now if people question, well, what earth is that really true, what you're teaching? Well, search the scriptures and see whether it's true or not. Look in the Bible and see whether that's true or not. Go over to Proverbs 24.9 and read that and, and, and study it and, and see what the commentaries say about the Hebrew word in that place and so on and, and, and see if this isn't true. Search the scriptures and see whether these things are true. That now is, um, well, number one. And I guess you, you could look at, you know, it says, by their fruits ye shall know them. So uh, if I'm living a scandalous life, uh, you might want to uh, re-examine what I say. But, you know, even in the case, and oh my, haven't there been sad cases, and even down to recent weeks, and over the years we remember, and going back, and such things have happened, oh, as long as I can remember my, my whole life, and that's going to be a long time, that someone who was a, a teacher of the word turns out to have been false and phony. But, uh, and so even if, it, now if we find out that, oh, you know what, so-and-so that we thought was a great teacher of God's word um, was, a, was a phony, uh, we don't necessarily reject everything he says. I think we might go back and say, well, his fruits aren't good. Let's back up a minute here and let's go through the steps again of comparing everything he said, searching the scriptures, whether, he's, whether it was true. Does, does what he say, says line up with scripture? Because there might have been times when, we probably shouldn't have, but we probably accepted what that guy said without really checking it carefully against Scripture. And we were believing something that wasn't really true. And in that case, well, we need to not believe that. But, and I could name names, but why should I? But you know, and, and you could easily, those of you who have been following the Lord for any length of time, six weeks, I don't know, you have probably heard of people. Wow, I can't believe that such and such great teacher has turned away and, and, in fact, was phony for many, many years. And we can go back, we search the scriptures, and the things that he taught that line up with scripture, that are according to scripture, those are, those are true. They were true then, they're still true now. But, but insofar as anything rested on his word, we have to say we shouldn't have believed that anyway. Okay, so, so much for that. But So we're not in quite the same position as Paul. So, but he says... I'll gladly spend and be spent for your souls. And, but we do have, we are like Paul in, the, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Again, we, are, we shouldn't, whatever we're doing for the Lord. And I would like to think that we all have some ministry for the Lord because we all influence somebody. We all have somebody we influence. And if you think, no, no, no one's influenced by me, I'll bet they are. I'll bet someone is. We may overestimate the, the reach of our own uh, ministry, but I'll bet someone is influenced by us. And some of us are maybe in a position where we influence more people and, and imagine that we influence even more than that. But uh, still, in having a ministry for the Lord, whether influencing one other person or many other persons, we don't do it for the money and we don't do it for the adulation and we don't do it for the love that we get. Now, we appreciate it when people bless us, and we appreciate it when people uh, 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 love us. I mean, we all appreciate it when people love us, right? We like to be loved. Human beings like to be loved. It's nice. 
It, it is nice. And so we, we're, we appreciate that, but we don't do it for that. We're doing it for the Lord, first of all, because then he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he, he will be pleased with us and he will say, well done, when we serve others for his sake. And whether they love us or not, even if the more we love them and the harder we try to help them, the more they roll their eyes at us and think we're dumb and crazy and old-fashioned and whatever else they think about us uh, or, or just don't care about us. But we, we try to serve them for Jesus' sake. Then the Lord, the Lord will say, good, well done, good and faithful servant to us for that. And we don't have to be affirmed, although it is nice, we don't have to be affirmed by of the love of the people to whom we try to minister. Okay. And again, whether that's one person or, or 10 or 15 or whatever it is. So verse 16. But be that as it may, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. Now again, a little irony there. Uh, the, the false teachers are running around saying, Paul caught you by cunning. And Paul says, oh, you got me. I took you by cunning, did I? But obviously, kind of with tongue-in-cheek, kind of with a smile, actually, no, I didn't take you by cunning. But some would have you to believe I took you by cunning, but not so. What does he mean? Well, did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? Apparently, the false teachers have been saying, yeah, Paul doesn't take money from you, but he's getting rich sending other people to get your money, like Titus and, and company. Well, he's not, and he hasn't been. Verse 18, I urged Titus, and I sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? I don't believe Titus took any money from them either. And Paul, you know, Titus is operating under the authority and under the auspices of Paul. And Paul said, we walked in the same spirit, we walked in the same steps. And I don't think Paul, I don't think Titus was taking their money. Like, remember Gehazi, Elisha's servant, who... I tracked down Naaman and said, um, Elisha changed his mind. He wants a bunch of stuff from you. And, uh, and Naaman gave it to him. And Gehazi got that stuff. I don't know if he got to keep it, but he got leprosy for it, for his troubles. And uh, I don't think that Titus was doing that. Paul says Titus wasn't doing that. I think if Titus had been doing that, I think God would have showed that to Paul, just as God showed what Gehazi was doing to Elisha. And Titus wasn't taking their money, and nobody else that Paul sent to them was taking their money. And why do you listen to these people who tell you these nonsensical things? And by the way, <laughs> there's a, I don't know if you've seen this advertised, there's a coffee mug advertised with a saying of someone on the side of it says, what's wrong with you people? And sometimes you feel like saying that. I think the Apostle Paul felt like saying they didn't exactly say that, but what's wrong with you people? Uh, he did say to the Galatians, who were having some of the same problems to the Corinthians, he said, who has bewitched you? Which is kind of uh, King James English for Koine Greek for what's wrong with you people? Now, I didn't, it seems a little unkind to just have that on a coffee mug. And also, it's put down as a quote by a fellow that I think he is in the Lord, and, and, and I appreciate some things he says, but on the whole, I... I uh, I have strong doctrinal disagreements with the gentleman that said that, and so I don't think I'm going to ask for a coffee mug that says that on it. It just makes me sound like too much of a curmudgeon, and I sound that too much that way anyway. But uh, 
People do things like that, too, don't they? I mean, right now, they just believe things. And it's, why are you believing that nonsense that these people are telling you? That doesn't make any sense, but they do it anyway. And so they did it back then. I guess that can be some comfort to us. But Paul obviously hadn't, had not taken money from them, and he hadn't used his helpers to take money from them. And the things the false teachers were saying to them were just nonsense. And he said, why are you people believing that nonsense that you don't obviously that hasn't been going on. Verse 19, again, do you think we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your education, for your, excuse me, for your edification. For your edification. So, look, the purpose of this is not so that we will feel justified. It's not so that we will, you know, we can get you to say, oh, Paul, I guess you're okay. That's not the idea. It's not about excusing ourselves. It's not about defending ourselves. It's about defending the gospel that I've preached to you. I taught you how you could uh, be, be saved from your sin and how you could go to heaven and how you could live and please God. And these false teachers are coming in. They're teaching you totally wrong things about that. And you need to believe the things I taught you. And that's the point of this whole discourse of, of verses 11 and, and or excuse me, chapters 11 and 12. That you need to believe the gospel that I taught you. We do all things for your edification. I don't know if edification is a word. It's commonly in use today. Sometimes a word just comes into my use and it's in use around the church. And I've heard it for, oh, I don't know, a long many years uh, and people talk about, well, that's not edifying, or we're doing this for your edification. And I don't know if that, I ought to try that out my students at TCU and see if that rings a bell with any of them. Do you know what the word edification means? Uh, I suppose the, the few that probably would know it would be Bible-believing Christians. But anyway, building up. An edifice is a building. Uh, it comes from the same root word. Edification means building up. So to build you up in Christ, not build up your pride, but build you up in Christ to make you stronger as, as Christians. So the purpose of all this is to build you up in Christ. And as we're going to see, this is highly necessary. It's, again, Paul's purpose is not primarily to defend himself. Never mind that. God will take care of whatever that needs to be done. But to build up the believers in the faith to teach them to believe the truth. The last two verses of that chapter, although there's not a lot of room on this slide, I wanted to put them together because they do go together. In fact, they're kind of one sentence. Verses 20 and 21, For I fear lest when I come I shall be found, I shall find you, such as, not, I shall not find you. There we go. I fear lest when I come I shall not find you, such as I wish, and I shall be found by you, such as you do not wish. By the way, the print's plenty big for me to read. I'm just not reading very well. Lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. So there is much need for their edification. As I write, I do these things, I say these things for your edifications, and folks, it's necessary. Imagine the Corinthians, oh, you think, is it really necessary to try to edify us so much? Oh, it's necessary, folks. It is. Because I'm going to come to you one of these days, and, and I, might not be, I might not be able to behave in a way that you like. 
I might have to speak harshly to you. And in fact, Paul can do other things as an apostle. And, and again, within the will of God, not, not by Paul acting uh, willfully on his own, just whatever he has a fancy to do, but when God leads him, he can wield, apply God's power as an apostle. Peter had Ananias and Sapphira struck dead by the will of God. God wanted to strike them dead, and Peter declared it, and it happened. And Paul declared uh, the false, uh, or, uh, the false teacher um, Elemis Bar Jesus there uh, blind for a season. God wanted to strike Elemis blind, and Paul declared it, and it was so. And uh, Paul could could do that in Corinth too. I really want to talk back to Paul because. Paul is God's man, and in a way, and, and to a degree that, uh, again, Paul's an apostle. We don't have apostles running around on earth today. We have the, the Bible that they, they wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not by their own will, but uh, they moved as they, they spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. But uh, um, if they wanted to rebel against Paul, Paul could be very rough with them indeed. And then all these things, lest there be all these things going on in the church. Now, surely not. It must have been awfully bad at the church of Corinth. Unbelievable. Can you imagine contentions within a church of Jesus Christ? Uh, uh, jealousies? Outbursts of wrath? Oh, my. I don't ever want to see another church split. If I... I will run for the doors and go hide and then come back after the nasty meeting is over. I have seen uh, two more of those than I care to see in my life. And yeah, there were outbursts of wrath and selfish ambitions, backbitings, outspoken, and whisperings. Oh, not whisperings in the church of God. Gossip going around in the church? No, I'm using irony just like Paul, right? He used irony. Oh, my. Oh, me. Um, this is, yeah, this is where you don't say amen. We say, oh, me. Um, yeah. Whisperings, conceits, tumults. Yeah, oh, boy, I saw that. Bad things. This can go on in churches. For shame, brethren, these things ought not so to be. Let's let it not be so among us. Why does the Holy Spirit bother to tell us that? Why does Paul tell the Corinthians because this could happen. This could be you guys. At any time, when I show up, this, I could find this kind of stuff going on, and I shouldn't, and you shouldn't be doing it. And we need to make sure. And you know what? The Lord Jesus is here every time we gather together. I count more than two, and th- two or three in here. I'm not a math professor, but I got well over two or three. And the Lord Jesus is present here in the midst of us. I know that chapter of Matthew 18 is specifically about church government, but I think as, as to the church, Christ is present in the midst of his church. Let us not be found in his presence in any of those things. And I'm persuaded better things of you, brethren, and things that pertain to salvation. So let's just make sure. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me. Well, how might Paul be humbled? Well, it's very humbling to a teacher to see people not following the things he's taught. Humbling is sometimes not the word. It's just, just unendingly discouraging. And you teach and teach and teach your heart out. And uh, 
They didn't get it. Have they been listening? What have they been doing? Or whatever. And that's discouraging to someone who's tried to teach God's word. Just, oh, Paul, we just don't think you're right. We think you don't know what God really wants. That would be humbling to Paul. And I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and not repented of their uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness, which they have practiced. Of course, this is Corinth. And people were into uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness on a big scale. And I know they are in our society, too. But if anything, maybe it was worse in Corinth in that era. It's hard to say. It's really hard to compare. Uh, I'm not going to go back and, and take a, you know, a Harris poll or a Gallup poll or whatever kind of poll of how much of wickedness there was. But it was really bad. And um, unfortunately, uh, some people are having a, tr- having a hard time leaving this behind, as we found earlier in uh, in uh, these epistles, and Paul says, uh, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are going right on continuing in the practice of the same sins they, they, they did before are not uh, of, of Christ. And they will not. Now, he says, And such were some of you. Yeah, you, you all used to practice this, but you that are not anymore, you, you have been washed and cleansed through the Holy Spirit and the washing uh, of God's word uh, through Christ. You're not doing that anymore. But he said, I would hate to come back there to Corinth and find some of you still doing that kind of thing. After I came through there once and preached the gospel, and I sent you um, probably a couple of letters, one of them not inspired, but, but still probably good Bible teaching. And then he sent them the first epistle that we have in the scriptures that is inspired. He sent them that and told them those things, like, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It sure would be a shame to come back and find them carrying on at that rate anymore. So let there not be these these, uh, differences and these factions and disputes and ugliness and hatefulness and outbursts of wrath and all that. And also let there not be people still carrying on in their old before Christ ways or before they professed Christ ways of living in wicked sin. Paul points out there's a need for edification because he has reason to fear. When he comes, he'll find all manner of disorders within the church and will have to take harsh measures. Well, that's the end of chapter 12, and that's the end of our lesson for today. So thank you for your attention. Let's close quickly with prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this this word from Scripture, these uh, verses that remind us of um, our duties and of the dangers that uh, lie in wait for us and of the need to uh, follow your word. We pray that you would bless us in the service to come. Bless your servant as he brings to us your word, and uh, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you are dismissed.